Good morning. It's Thursday, the second of November, and this is Govindraj Ethiraj in transit and otherwise based in Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day: India's goods and service tax or GST collections are at the second highest level seen so far, touch 172,000 crore rupees last month. India's unemployment rate jumps to 10.5 percent, says the Centre for Monitoring Indian Economy. Highest customs rate in history on gold bullion leads to 10 lakh rupees per kilogram difference in prices between international and domestic. India recorded the highest number of road fatalities at over 168,000 last year. Why is this happening despite new vehicles and roads? This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. GST numbers rise. India's goods and services tax collections rose to 172,000 crores in October, up 13% year on year, which officials attributed to stricter anti-evasion measures and improved compliance. Now, this is the second highest collection ever, next only to April this year. The finance ministry said on Wednesday while releasing the monthly GST figures. Maharashtra, Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, and Gujarat lead the pack in terms of GST collections in India. The average gross monthly GST collections in the current financial year is around 166,000 crore rupees, a figure we at the Core Report have referred to in the past as being the general average of collections and thus not showing any significant growth, at least sequentially. So the government is saying that this is a 11% increase year on year, as we just mentioned. Though there have been some unusually high months, like April 2023, when GST collections touched 187,000 crore rupees, which was of course a record. Deloitte India partner MS Money told the Business Standard that the significant growth in GST collections over recent month was not only due to strong underlying economic factors, but also the efforts of tax authorities in using tools to compare data sets for identifying short payments and evasion. Of the total gross collections of 172,000 crores, 30,000 crores is central GST, 38,000 crores state GST, 91,000 crore that includes 42,000 collected on imports is IGST or integrated goods and service taxes and about 12,000 crores is CES of which about 1200 crores is imports. Yes, GST does include a substantial amount collected on imports which of course tells you something about the high tariff walls and what would happen if they were not there both in the long and short term. MS Money of Deloitte told the Business Standard that revenue from domestic transactions including import of services is also 13% higher compared to revenues from these sources during the same month last year. Markets are steady. GST collections may be strong but other indicators were not. The rupee hit a record low yesterday against the US dollar thanks to broadly the same reason that's high US treasury yields and of course the strong dollar itself which is pushing down currencies across the world. The rupee closed at an all-time low of 83 rupees 33 paise its previous lifetime low being 83 rupees 29 paise hit in October last year. On Tuesday the rupee had settled at 83 rupees to 24 paise against the US dollar. The Sensex ended 284 points lower at 63591 and the Nifty 50 settled with a loss of 90 points to 18981 or just below 19000 which is a bit of a disappointment because remember that the dream figure for most Nifty 50 chasers is 20000 which will obviously take some effort to get back to 
Meanwhile, the markets and currency might be down, but car sales continue to go through the roof. Maruti Suzuki recorded its highest ever monthly sales, selling around 199,000 units in October. The company told the exchanges this number includes both exports and domestic sales. So, utility vehicle or SUV sales for the company stood at 59,147 units in October, which was almost double the 30,970 units sold in October 2022. So utility vehicles as you know and as we've been discussing here of Maruti include Brezza and Etiga and as we've discussed in the core report earlier SUV sales are fast outpacing sedan or regular car sales which is also driving up overall car sales numbers compact car sales of models like Swift and Desire also saw an uptick in sales with 80,000 units sold in October 23 versus 73,000 sold in the same period last year However, while Maruti might be doing well, India's manufacturing activity fell to a 8-month low in October with new orders rising at their slowest pace in a year a private survey has showed. The India Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index stood at 55.5 in October compared to 57.5 in September according to S&P Global who releases this report. A figure above 50 means expansion while a figure below 50 means contraction. While output continued to increase in October, the data signaled a deceleration in growth in September and the rate of expansion was the softest in a year with consumer goods especially affected. Unemployment hits a 2-year high in India. India's unemployment rate climbed to the highest in more than 2 years in October as joblessness in rural areas increased according to the Center for Monitoring Indian Economy or the CMIE. The overall rate rose to 10.05% last month from 7.09% in September. Data from the CMIE showed the highest since May 2021. Rural employment climbed to 10.8% from 6.2 while the urban rate eased slightly to 8.4. according to bloomberg which has put together these figures so the government's country wide unemployment rate is only published annually and the rate for urban areas every quarter the most recent official report released in october puts the unemployment rate for the country at 3.2% for 2223 reported bloomberg adding that economists rely on cmi data for a better assessment of the labor market cmi's figures are based on monthly surveys of more than 170000 households And CMI data also shows that nearly 10 million people entered the job market in October in hope of finding work. Elsewhere there are some stress signs in sectors like IT services or information technology services which are cutting back on hiring and downsizing perhaps for the first time in 2 or 3 decades that's the downsizing. While the numbers are in tens of thousands for downsizing these of course are reflective of the top few listed companies who release such figures. India sees historically high differences between imported and domestic gold prices. Just yesterday, we spoke of how gold prices were near record highs and could dampen demand in India during the peak festival season, which is right now, and lead to lower volumes at least compared to recent years according to the World Gold Council. India's gold consumption in the July to September quarter rose 10% to about 210 tons as both jewelry and investment demand improved thanks to a correction in local prices according to the World Gold Council. But this is unlikely to continue as India is the world's second largest gold consumer and a drop in purchases could limit a rally in global prices as well. Gold smuggling going by the number of seizures is increasing in step with higher import duties. 
and I'll come to that in a moment. Gold demand in India usually strengthens towards the end of the year along with the wedding season and Diwali and the Sera when bullion buying is considered auspicious. Local gold prices jumped this week to about 61,396 rupees per 10 grams near an all-time high of 61,845 rupees hit earlier this year. Last year by the way, if you had bought then prices in the December quarter were nearly 20% lower than this year. So the magic number as I understand is around 60,000 rupees per 10 grams of gold right now below which more buyers would come back above which people will sell their old jewelry. I reached out to Prithviraj Kothari, president of the more than a century old India Bullion and Jewellers Association, and I began by asking him how gold prices were doing in the last year and what were the triggers that they were responding to right now. So this year the US Fed rate interest rate has increased in almost 13 times, you know, is a 5.25 to 5.5 percent. It's more effect on the liquidity side. So initially, when the interest rate are increasing slowly, it's effect on the entire industries also. So you see the gold market is going down before the ten cent in the month of October. So when the prices fall to eighteen hundred and twenty five dollar, that time the huge demand is in India. Lots of people are buying. They book their goods. The ten day period where the price fallen from nineteen hundred to eighteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollar in a week. That time, lot of bookings should be there. and jewelry sell booking inventory everyone is putting there in the stock now what happened everyone is the profit taking now the prices suddenly moved to the 63000 approximately so people are waiting for the price because when the prices move above 60000 no the people are waiting for the price there is no buying everywhere it's going to slow down or maybe in auspicious day they buy from 10 grams to 5 grams so it effect the liquidity side now in this week the liquidity in the market is a very tight if you see the sell there is very less demand in the market and market also come in the disparity in the discount side it's all depend on the price but no doubt the festival season is there so people are buying gold jewelry but i see in every market it should be nervousness because of the liquidity crisis in the market now it's happened because when the interest rate hiking no everywhere in india also the 7.5 to 8% so i think the whole industry slowly slowly it's affected and second affected of this the tension from israel and gaza all affect the sentiment of the market and the gold prices about 1825 to move in a 10 days to 2000 so it's all effect on the market and the sentiment also should change Right so Mr Kothari so two things i think so one is as you said there are external factors like the middle east tensions us treasury yield the other is more specific to do with india now if we look at other asset classes stock markets are maybe a little steady to down right now but real estate is seeing unprecedented bullishness the general sense in terms of consumption including in other goods and services seems very high in india So is that playing a role at all or likely to play a role in gold that's number 1 number 2 as we enter the festive season i mean we are in the festive season but let's say diwali is still to come do you see any shifts which would influence the total the outcome of the total number for the year after the diwali the merry season should be started if prices in the comfortable zone it's below 60000 price then i think the demand should be quite good but not so higher but quite good because what happened when the prices move higher the people instead of buying they exchange their old jewelry into new jewelry and paying the making charges so this trend is happen 
when the price is moving higher. So I think if prices is the comfortable zone, it's below the 60,000. In month of October, we have seen the 58,000, 58,500 price. If prices is comfortable and this uh, war should sort out or anything happen, so then the prices should be down. But when the interest rate is increasing, it's effect after the six month or nine month. It's not defect day one. When the U.S. interest rate is increasing, then India also the interest rate increasing by 200 basis points. So I think it's effect after six months or nine months or in a year. But when the interest rate is increasing, market should slow down. Equity market, then precious metal, then after a real estate market is all affected in the slowly, slowly process. Right, right. So you're saying for this season, are you projecting, because I was looking at World Gold Council numbers and obviously the last quarter was very strong one. But the question I think is, will India consume more gold than let's say last year or move to a higher plane than before? No, I think maybe it's 700 tons approximately in between 650 to 700 tons is the every year's India importing. I think this year's prices is a higher, uncertainty is there and people are now slowly, slowly investing in a gold. Those people are from far away from the gold. They are now investing in the gold. Like if you see the ETF also increase in India, in ETF gold also increasing gold and silver also. So investment demand is still there. I think when the equity market is on the downside, maybe gold demand should be there. 650 to 700, I think it crosses this year also. Right. Though we saw about 774 tons last year. So that means you're saying it will be down compared to the previous year. Yeah, because the higher prices are there and also the rupee depreciate also. It's both effect on the gold prices and the customs duty, including GST, it means almost 18%. So I think it's effect on the gold prices also because there is the two higher prices in India compared to the international market and everything. Right. And since you mentioned it, and I must ask you this. So do you feel we need to be reduced import duties? We have already requested the ministry that 18% difference between international and domestic market. It means 8 lakhs rupees difference between domestic and international market. So it's a huge difference we never see in the history of India. And ministry also knows the difference of a customs duty. And if you see the newspaper articles every day, the customs sees the goods. in Features. Yes. So I think government have to think about that because the, in India, it's a huge manufacturing hub there. So slowly, slowly, it's affect our industry also, domestic industry, handmade jewelry, machine-made jewelry, it's all effect on the market. Right, right. Mr. Kothari, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Road fatalities at an all-time high. Road accidents in India claimed a record 168,491 lives last year across some 460,000 mishaps. Figures from the Ministry of Road Transport and Highways' annual report on road accidents released on Tuesday said states and union territories reported 461,000 incidents in 2022, causing injuries to about 443,000 people or almost half a million. There was an increase of about 11.9 or 12 percent in accidents, 9.4% in fatalities and 15.3% in injuries compared to 21. The Highways Ministry said in a statement reported in media that the report underscores the urgency of adopting a comprehensive approach to address the contributing factors to these accidents, including speeding, reckless driving, drunken driving and non-compliance with traffic regulations. 
It is crucial that we strengthen enforcement mechanisms, enhance driver education and training programs, and invest in improving the condition of roads and vehicles. While India has seen more road accidents in previous years, 12 years to be precise, the number of fatalities are the highest in the last. The second highest number of deaths took place in 2019, just before COVID, 10,000 fewer than 22. So if you take away COVID, it does appear that the number of deaths continues to rise. While deaths as compared to the number of vehicle registrations have reduced over the past decades if that's any consolation 2022 also saw the highest number of deaths vis-a-vis the population with 12.2 casualties per 1 lakh or 100,000 people remember we just spoke about car sales hitting record highs which means more people are driving than ever before which is something desirable in a broader economic and prosperity sense but not if people are not careful The annual report by the way is based on data sent by police departments of states and union territories in formats provided by the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for Asia and Pacific under the Asia Pacific Road Accident Database project. I reached out to Piyush Tiwari, founder and CEO of Save Life Foundation, an organization he founded in 2008 when his cousin died in a road crash. Tiwari who used to work in private equity earlier discovered that 50% of all road crash deaths in India could be prevented if victims received timely care. Save Life works both in policy support as well as illustrative ground interventions in crash prevention and post crash response. I began by asking him why the fatality numbers were rising so rapidly despite the perceived increase in car safety or at least the focus on that theme. there are a few reasons behind this one of them is that we have seen in the last couple of years with highway surfaces improving we have seen a significant increase in speeds and over speeding is now the number one violation that we see on our roads now when you look at speeding a couple of more things come into play the first thing is the safety of vehicles in which people are commuting right and what is the safety standard of these vehicles as far as the speeds are concerned are they able to withstand the impact at the kind of speeds at which people are driving these vehicles the second piece is the aspect of enforcement that given the newer highways or the kind of roads that are being built and the kind of vehicles that are available are our enforcement agencies equipped to catch these kind of violations at the frequency at which they are happening and the third thing is the road furniture that while we are improving the surfaces of our highways is the commensurate infrastructure that is required to prevent injury in the event of a crash like a crash barrier or crash attenuators proper signages closure of gaps in median and so on and so forth are these in place or not and what we have seen is that these are the three areas within the realm of speeding which are problematic because of which speeding continues unabated and is now leading to a very significant loss of life on our roads the second piece is that we must focus on is what happens after the crash now because we are seeing a larger number of crashes happening at higher speeds the trauma care that typically has to follow has to be much much more organized and advanced than it is today on our roads and highways we are still seeing you know 1990s era ambulances flying on our highways we are still seeing paramedics and emts not being effectively certified or trained we are still seeing multiple numbers existing for calling for help we are still seeing hospitals having the same kind of problems that they have traditionally so this entire aspect of trauma care has to be looked at from a systemic perspective 
and a framework has to be established that guarantees competent trauma care under the aspect of right to life in our country, which it currently isn't. So I think there is a significant problem in terms of violations, especially speeding, wrongside driving and all of that. And then the post-crash care being extremely weak, given the nature of crashes that are now taking place. Right. So a couple of questions. So one is on the safety of the cars themselves or the vehicles. In a very broad sense, I mean, obviously, there are many cars of different values and the different constructs. How safe are they or not, or they are not, in the way we sort of see them on roads at the speed at which they're going? So there are two aspects to it. The first aspect is that when I'm talking about vehicular safety, I'm talking about the safety of buses, the safety of two-wheelers, and of course, the safety of cars. Unfortunately, the entire vehicular safety regime so far in our country has singularly focused on cars, even though they are a relatively smaller part of the larger equation that we are talking about. Now, coming to your specific point about how safe are the cars, the more recent vehicles that are coming into the market of a certain price category are relatively safer than they have been in the past. However, we are still seeing that the vehicles that the common man is using, the entry-level vehicles, are still not safe. Whether we talk about cars, whether we talk about motorcycles, scooters, they are still extremely unsafe. And therefore, there is a relook required the overall vehicle safety regime and the need to go beyond cars to look at you know, other modes of transport that our people are using. For example, buses. Every other day, we hear of a bus falling into a gorge or a bus meeting a head-on collision or a rear-end collision and a large number of people losing their life in those crashes. What about bus safety standards? So I think there is a significant look required when it comes to vehicle safety, especially the safety of vehicles that the common man uses. Do you have any breakup there, Piyush, on, you know, when we say, let's say 168,000 lives, I mean, what would be the breakup between bus and cars and two-wheelers and so on? So there are two sets of road users, you know, from a classification standpoint. One classification is vulnerable road users. These are people who are pedestrians, cyclists, two-wheelers, people who are exposed on the road. So we say human over metal instead of metal over human. The second category of vehicle of road users is metal over human, right? Which is slightly protected in terms of cars, buses, and so on and so forth. We know that the vulnerable road users is the chunk or the majority of deaths that are currently taking place. Nearly 60% of all deaths are involving vulnerable road users. And we are talking about, you know, of this 168,000, nearly 50,000 just being motorcycle users. And then a large chunk of them being pedestrians, cyclists, and so on and so forth. So the vulnerable road users, the protection of vulnerable road users and keeping them safe, both from a road engineering design perspective as well as a vehicular safety perspective, therefore becomes extremely important. Right. The people themselves and how they drive, you know, you've given the external part. I mean, what's the message from you to them? Because that's really why you set up this organization and, and everything that you do today. Yeah. My message is very simple. Vehicle in the hands of an untrained person is a weapon. And that weapon can and is killing people on our roads every day at this point of time. So what we have to ensure is that whether it is us who's driving a vehicle or whether we give it to someone else, we have to ensure that some basic safety measures have to be followed. Speed, for example, is very, very crucial. Every 1% increase in speed increases the chance of fatal collision by 3%. So we are talking about an incremental increase in the chances of a fatal crash with every incremental increase in speed. So that's one aspect of the piece. The second thing is 
that we have seen in too many crashes that because of convenience sake, people are doing wrong side driving or because of impatience, people are doing wrong side driving. They have to understand that this is criminal behavior. This is not acceptable. This is not normal behavior. This is criminal behavior and should ideally be followed by impounding of the vehicle and severe punishment because you are doing this knowingly. You are you know, threatening somebody else's life knowingly. So I think it is very important to understand that roads are a shared space, vehicles are a weapon. And the moment you allow that weapon to be used irresponsibly, it will end up taking a life. It could be yours or it could be your family's or it could be somebody else's. Piyush, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Govind. Do check out Piyush's website, savelifefoundation.org. I repeat, savelifefoundation.org and support this or the larger cause in whichever way you can, including spreading awareness. That's it for me for today. Have a great day ahead. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.